Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Renoite. My name is Connor McQuivy. I'm your host as always. Thank you for checking out the show today. I'm very excited that this episode is very timely. This is coming out February 7th and yesterday, February 6th, was the first day of the Nevada legislative session. Nevada only has a legislature every other year for 120 days and it just started this week. Today on the podcast, I'm very excited to welcome Angie Taylor, a recently elected freshman legislator in the Assembly from Assembly District 27 and former president of the Washoe County School Board. Very exciting conversation about what is happening in education, what she hopes to see from the legislative session, and some background about how our legislature works. What is a bill draft request? Who can submit them? What her priorities are in her bill draft requests for this session? Lots of really great stuff. And Angie is so fun and such a great guest. It was fantastic to get to sit down and talk with her a bit. I learned a lot and I hope you do too. Before we get to today's episode, a couple quick requests. We're about halfway through this current season of Renoites. I have been so blessed to have amazing guests on the show this season and several more great guests coming up. It's been a really fantastic season and more people are listening than ever. You can help the show grow, reach more people here in Reno. My goal is that this podcast can be Something that everyone who lives in Reno and listens to podcasts checks out at least now and then. But there are a lot of people who live in Reno and listen to podcasts who don't even know that this show exists. So if you can help spread the word, tell your friends, family, share the posts on social media. I always post on Instagram when there are new episodes. Share those posts with your friends. I really rely on word of mouth for people to find out about the show. Thank you so much. If you want to help support the show financially, you can also donate on Patreon. Patreon is a website where you can donate regularly to creators like me. That's patreon.com slash renoites for more information. If you have any suggestions for guests on the show, please let me know. You can shoot me an email anytime, connor, C-O-N-O-R, at renoites.com, or send me a message on Instagram, also a really great way to get a hold of me. That's at renoites on Instagram. And now, this week's guest, Angie Taylor. Angie Taylor. Welcome to Renoites. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you because you are recently elected to the state assembly, Mm -hmm. and it is a legislature year in Nevada. We only do it every other year. Every two years. Which is, uh, I do want to talk to you about on this episode because it's an interesting form of government that I think is not common in most states. It is not common. Yeah. So to start, I just, you have a long background in education. So you were the president of the Washoe County School District School Board, right? Yes. And before that, you worked with uh, at UNR in education, right? Mm-hmm. And now there's a lot of talk about education in the current legislative session. Yeah. So a lot of the focus will probably be on education. But to start, can you just talk about moving from the behind the scenes of education, like when you were in UNR, into electoral politics and more of the political realm? Is that something that you always had an interest in, in working more on the political side? And what kind of drew you to running for office in those kind of roles? Well, you know, very interesting. And thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. I I appreciate that, Connor. You know, I I never, I've always loved education. Um, Education changed my life. It changed my life. It changed my family. It's something I've always uh, been really passionate about. The fact that I continue to work in education, because even with my company, we we educate, we train, we teach. Mm-hmm. That doesn't surprise me. Did I? And I've always had an interest in politics. I was involved in student government, and even as back as junior high school or middle school, high school, not in college. I played basketball, and it was pretty hard to do both of those things mm-hmm. together. So I've always had an interest in politics. 
I never thought that I envisioned a time when they would intersect with each other, so to speak. Never, never got that far. I just, I, I, just, I am pulled to things that I'm passionate about, things that I really care about. And so that's how I kind of landed there. There's one thing that does surprise me is that it was K-12, my first political position, if mm-hmm. you will, as opposed to higher ed, because I worked at the university for 20 years. And so you would think it'd be more of a board of regents kind of a kind mm-hmm. of a deal and it just didn't work out that way. I'm glad about it. Yeah. What is I what is the Board of Regents and how's that different than the, the is that the school board? The Board of Regents is the state board that oversees the college and university system. The Nevada system of higher education, INCHI okay. as as it's called. And so that's the college and university state school board. Okay. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Right. So then you moved into so doing K twelve here in Washoe County School District. Mm-hmm. What was that like kind of going from the college environment? Yeah, you know, it's just one of the things about the school board and even the position I'm in now is, is people think, oh, you know, you're making all this money and so on. You actually don't make very much at all. As, <laughs> right, as a yeah. school board trustee, uh, you get paid $9,000 a year. Mm. It Typically, if, if you're still in the workforce, there are people that are retired that are on the board. And so it doesn't cost some time, so to speak. But if you're an employee, mm-hmm. then it, it costs you money. Right. Because there are times when you miss work yeah. to do school board functions. Yes, sometimes you have to leave time. Sometimes it's it's time away when it's just unpaid leave or, or someone or you're trading that in for time away from your families because you have to go back and work till midnight or on the weekends. Or in, in my case, I own a business. So that's time I'm not focusing on my business, mm-hmm. which also has a financial rent. So it really costs you money. You drive all over, go to schools and so on like that. And rarely do you turn in an expense form. Or you're just you're doing the job. Right. And that's what it takes to do the job well. So, yes, yeah, so there's that piece from that standpoint in terms of you. So you certainly don't do it for the money. <laughs> right. You know, certainly you certainly don't do it for the money. But you I, do I mean, I think that's the deal with a lot of like government and political jobs. Right. Mm-hmm. Not known for their high pay. Exactly. And even those that are full time jobs mm-hmm. are still not known for their high pay right. when you think about it. So, yeah, so then for those that, that aren't full-time jobs, that are that are just kind of your side hustle, if you will, it mm-hmm. doesn't even pay great as a side hustle. I mean, quite, quite, I mean, it's okay as a side right. hustle, but it doesn't pay great. Yeah. So it's certainly not something that you do for that. You do it because you care, because you want to serve. I do believe that public service is a calling. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't choose it, it chooses you. Um, how it manifests itself may change or evolve, like K-12 education first for me. And then now at the legislative level, it kind of, but education kind of goes with you because it's mm-hmm. the biggest thing in most states is education. The biggest part of the budget in our state and probably in most states is the thing that impacts almost everybody, everybody in the state directly or indirectly and almost everybody directly. I mean, a pretty large a portion, mm-hmm. someone is in school or has a family member in school or a family member that works in a school or Something like that, right? So a lot of, lot of overlap. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about your business too. So you do uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, consulting work. Guardian Quest is the company, right? Guardian Quest, yeah. yes. Can you tell me a little bit? Uh, mostly we'll talk about uh, political stuff and what's in the news and all that kind of thing. But I yeah. do want to give you a chance to talk about what you do as your normal job. Yes, my real job, the job <laughs> that actually pays me, especially when I can pay a lot of attention to it, uh, is called Guardian Quest. It's a company that's been around since the year 2000, became my company, acquired the company in 2014. And what we do is we do what I like to call world-class training, facilitating, consulting, and coaching. In the areas of, certainly DEI is one of the areas that we do, but we also do leadership. We do team building. We do uh, many of the organizational development functions, how the teams work together, how the organizations work together. Part of that is inclusion. Part of that is, you know, having a diverse workforce. That's part of it. So there are a lot of other things that we get into that are really related 
really related to that. And so we've been at it for a long time. I'm very biased, but I'm very proud because we do it really well. Mm -hmm. We have trained in uh, every state in the union, all the United States territories and a couple of other countries. And so it's just just an amazing team. I'm really blessed to have them an amazing team. Excellent. Yeah, no, I always like to give people the opportunity to talk about the things that they do that they're excited about that they can brag about because when you're working hard and building something, it's fun to be able to say, hey, this is the thing that I do and this is the thing that I yeah, built. It is. I'm, like I said, I'm proud. I put my team up when it comes to developing curriculum and training or so I put my team up against anyone. They're very good and very passionate because we believe in it because it's really about people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an, something that, you, that will be an intersection through everything about me. It's really about people. Helping people, serving people. If there is a, I think we all have a task, a reason why God created us, and mine is to to make things, organizations, to make people better. Mm. That's the role that I have, and so it's always going to be about that, taking care of the least, the last, and the lost, those who don't have an opportunity. Because at one point in my life, that was me. Mm. Excellent. Well, so let's talk a little bit about the school board. You were on the school board throughout the rise of things like the critical race theory panic. There was even like a failed recall effort by Robert Beatles, who's kind of a right-wing activist in the northern Nevada area. How did the relationship between the school board and the public kind of shift over your time? Was it always so heavily politicized when you started on the school board? What was it like as far as the culture and the conversations that the community was having around schools versus near the end of your time on the school board? Can you just talk a little bit about what you've seen change over your career in the education piece? My, my eight years on that on the school board, I came along during the time when there was some drama on the school board because the school board had, as it turned out, it illegally fired the superintendent. And because, you know, there were contract issues and so on, it cost the district quite a bit of money, like $750,000 mm. to, to get out of that um, issue. Again, all that was before me in the midst of all that. One of the school board trustees had a health issue and, uh, and so stepped down while in the, in the midst of all that. And that was in my district. And that's when a friend of mine said, hey, you teach leadership. <laughs> you love education. <laughs> you have a doctorate. I mean, right. We think this will be great because we can use some leadership. Mm-hmm. And that's how that door even I, I was watching it on the news and I'm watching it unravel like everybody else. Right. Like, wow, we can, we got, we got to figure this out. Right. And so that's kind of how that opened. So when I first got in, it was really about trying to reestablish some trust because the community lost a lot of trust. That was a big. Mm-hmm. A big thing. And I think because it was such a big thing, the trustees really and, and their defense didn't really know how to deal with it. That's tough, right? And so most of it, it didn't get dealt with. Right. You know, and because a lot of times when you don't know what to do, sometimes you don't do anything. <laughs> most of the time, isn't that great of an idea, right? right? I'm very guilty of that. So, yeah, yeah I yeah. identify it's, strongly. It's with just that. human. It's just human nature, right? We all have some of that in us. Mm-hmm. And so, so part of it was, hey, how do we just get the board back together, you know, so that we can become a better board and do those things that are necessary for us? Because there's plenty of research out there that talks about high-functioning boards actually contribute to academic achievement. Hmm. Low-functioning boards actually take away from that. Hmm. So how do we get to be so we're a high-functioning board? In the midst of all the challenges within the district, I, I was appointed in December of 2014. And then in January, I was really, I was really honored that my colleagues elected me to be vice president. I was able to provide some leadership early on. And one of the things we did was bring in the, not one of the national foremost experts on school boards, school boards, school board governing and fit, help us. Mm-hmm. Right. We want to get better. I mean, all of us, we want to be better. We understand this is distraction to teachers. It takes away from what's happening with the kids. We know we got to get better. And so all of us agreed with that. And so Dr. Tom Allsbury is his name. So he agreed to work with us. And we did things like self-evaluations. We got governing policies and practices lined up. This is how we're going to function as a school board and then commit to it. And then at the end of the day, 
we have to govern ourselves. We're the top of the food chain as the school board trustee. So it can't, Madam Superintendent, this trustee is doing, no, no, because that's her boss. Right. Right. That's his boss. Yeah. Because the school board hires the superintendent, right? Yes. Is that one of the main functions of the school board? We hire and fire, hopefully not fire, but we hire the superintendent. We have the fiscal responsibility, mm. right? And then the uh, the strategic plan. Gotcha. Right. Because in the midst of that strategic plan is the academic achievement. So it's not that academic achievement is lost, but that's the, the direction of the district and the direction. The goal of it is the academic achieve the safety and academic achievement of our students and staff. Gotcha. So is that not curriculum building? It's more about setting what the goals are what, yeah. and curriculum is decided outside of the board. We don't because here's the reality of it. Now, I have an education background, higher ed. I'm not a K-12 educator. Mm. So what the heck am I doing developing K-12 curriculum? Right. Right. I mean, we need curriculum experts, which is who you hope you've hired. Right. So everyone in the district reports to the superintendent and the superintendent reports to the board. Got it. Because you, and especially remember, $9,000 a year. (laughs) So I'm not there every day to see who's doing what. And then let's let's see what what are the best practices on curriculum. We can't. Mm -hmm. You know, you absolutely can't do that. We approve it. Right at the rec- recommendation of staff and and so on, but those they're the experts in it, and that's part of the challenge. And sometimes in any board, especially at the local level, because I think there's it isn't as clear at the state level. Clearly, the legislature isn't running, you know, DMV. Right. Say for an example, right? Clearly, we are not doing that. But at the local level, sometimes it isn't quite as clear, and so people think, "Hey, you set up that curriculum." Actually, we don't. Yeah, you decide what we have for lunch. We we don't. <laughs> I mean, I mean, truly, right? Yeah. We we approve curriculum as recommended, and we want the process to be fair and clear. We want to make sure we have the best people involved in the process, and so on. And then we get the recommendations. We ask questions. We can certainly do our own research, but at the end of the day, I'm not the one di- because I don't know. Is that always been one of the challenges of the school board? Is letting people know what you do and don't do, and what the actual mechanisms are of our school district? I would absolutely agree. And I think a couple of things, I think that's part of what I think went awry a little bit with the uh, the former superintendent when that was former superintendent Martinez and the existing school board, the line wasn't really clear. What's over, it's called overreach. Mm. What's overreach? Gotcha. Right. And that's a tough line. And especially if it's in your area of expertise, Mm. right? If you did grow up in the K-12 system and so, and you know some stuff Mm -hmm. because you, you know what you know. Yeah. Then that is that's a much harder line. It's easier for someone like me that didn't grow up in K twelve to say, look, I need to rely upon the experts and let's hold this. And if it doesn't work, then you hold the superintendent accountable. Mm-hmm. I don't go to the school that's in my district and start jamming up the principal. That's not my job. Got it. I go to the superintendent and say, Hey, I have a concern. People are coming to me with this, and then you work that out. Mm-hmm. And if the superintendent doesn't work it out, guess what? It shows up in their evaluation. Got That's it. the way that process works. But again, it's a little harder when you've been a little closer because you've grown up in it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really hard. People don't understand that as much as that we have to make sure that, hey, we have a professional staff. We've delegated the running of the district. Why? Because it's not – we, and we want experts. Yeah. We want the very best people we can get making those decisions for our children, at least those recommendations for our children mm-hmm. and for our staff. And then, again, like we approve it. Some things you give the superintendent, ultimately, you make that decision. Snow days, for an example. Mm-hmm. The school board doesn't decide what's a snow day and what isn't a snow day. Right. The superintendent does. They actually have people out at 2 o'clock in the morning driving the dang streets, if you can believe it. Hmm. Because it might be a blizzard over here. Right. Then you go out to Southwest Reno, 
And it's like, oh, it's nice out today. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so yeah, you you were not driving around at two in the morning no. to decide if it was a snow day. No, right? and I'm not even making the decision. Yeah. And I find out on the news that morning when everyone else finds out. Gotcha. How how big is the Washoe County School District? It's the entire county. Okay. So it's about 62,000 students and about 8,000 employees. Okay. So the largest employee in the county, mm-hmm. a billion-dollar budget, and about 64,000 students. So it is the largest enterprise in our county. It's huge. Got it. How was the um, experience of the politicization of it? So I know you said it started off a little rough because there was issues with the current superintendent. And then I, I, I former because yeah. he, he got fired. Right. Former. But no, then I think it's we kind of settled in and we really focused on let's mm-hmm. be a better board. And it was not without a blip by any means. But politics actually rarely came up. You kind of knew who was in what political corner, if you will. But it rarely, honestly, it rarely came up. Like I said, you kind of knew because, you know, people have different views and you're talking about those things, but it wasn't, it wasn't a big factor. And then that's why I think that's part of um, what we've been dealing with the last couple of years, kind of blindsided everybody because it's like, Mm. wow, it's never really been like that. And then all of a sudden it's a political thing. And then it's, okay, you're doing your political agenda. It's like, well, we never even really had a political (laughs) agenda. So, yeah. And so it really took it. I'll speak for myself. It took Mm. me aback. Mm -hmm. I probably would have dealt with it better had it not been so out of left field. Yeah. How is it now? So you're not on the school board anymore because you were recently elected for the legislature. Mm-hmm. So yes. uh, Assemblywoman Angie Taylor. Thank you very much. Yes. So how do you think the school board is doing now or the school district in general? Like what are your expectations kind of with the current school board and, and as we go forward? Honestly, I'm actually really excited. I mean, it, it seems weird to say that, but because in, in the midst of the two-year period, the, the most recent two years, let's call it 2021-22, was, was, was such a challenge. One was to start with COVID. Right. Something absolutely unprecedented. I know that word is really overused, but it was absolutely unprecedented. Oh, yeah. And those decisions around it. To me, there's like that's a great example of not making political decisions because during that time, the political parties nationally were really in two different camps, right? At first, we were all shut down. No one really knew what was going on, so we just shut down. Mm -hmm. And then school starts again that fall in 2020. And although as much as we were accused of being very political, we had more Dems than Republicans or independents. So it was really a Democratic-leaning board. Mm -hmm. We decided to go back to school. Mm. That was so contrary to the political message from the party if right. everyone was trying to do a part it's like how can you say we're, we went back to school right. yeah <laughs> yeah I, I think that there's this narrative that you know everything was shut down for two years and no one was allowed to leave their house and that's not the case because nope. we did go back to school and a lot of things did get back to not normal but we did not have a years-long shutdown in nevada no. including in schools right? we're not washoe now there are other yeah. parts and the clark stayed out for a long time mm, okay they stayed out for a long time but really here we were actually one of the largest districts in the country to go back to school in the fall and now so your new thing that you're doing is with the legislature and that is obviously overlapping a lot with your work in education it does yeah so tell me a little bit about so you're elected to serve for the state assembly district 27 can you just tell me what District 27 is? What does that cover? And for people who are not that familiar with how the state legislature works, can you just explain kind of what an assembly person does? Those are really good questions because so many people just don't know. If you don't live in that world, there's just a lot of it you don't know. Right. <laughs> Let's just be honest about that, right? We'll start with the structure, if, if you will. The structure of it is such that we, obviously we have the whole state, 
we have uh, 42 assembly people, 24 in the Senate. 20, well, no, we're doubled. 24, 48 in the Senate, divided geographically, just like nationally. If you think about the United States Senate, although that isn't geographical, that's statewide. But you think about the Senate, you think about the House. We have a Senate and a House. Our House is called the Assembly, right? And so we all have geographical areas that we represent. My geographical area, we're almost in my area. Okay. Not quite. West of the university, we go over the 7th Street. We dip down a little bit across in the Mayberry area and then go up all the way out to Stead, okay. right? Go out to Stead by the military base, a little bit on military, cross over and take all of Sun Valley hmm. and back over. We don't cross McCarran though. So really West University and some, some of Northwest Reno. Okay, gotcha. Is my area. And we serve two-year terms. You remember that uh, Schoolhouse Rock? Yeah, I'm just a, I'm just a bill. Just, they're doing a special on that. It's coming on TV. I saw it advertised. Oh, Schoolhouse Rock? Yeah. Oh, sign me up, man. Oh, fun. Sign, sign me up. Right sign on. me up. All the songs. Let's do it. <laughs> so our job is to make policy, right? We balance the state budget, which means laws, right? To establish laws. The way laws come across, we have what you call a bill draft request, a BDR. And each of us as freshmen, freshman legislators, first year, right? We get five bill draft requests. So we can put five things that are, hey, these are five bills I want to write, five things that I want to become law. Or one of those could be, it's already a law but we need to fix it. It went too far. It didn't go far enough. It cost too much. It doesn't cost whatever, mm-hmm. right? So we get five of those. Oh, okay. They're called BDRs. By early February, we get one more as a freshman. Veteran legislators, I think they get 10. Oh, okay. And then once you get into leadership, the speaker, a majority leader, you begin to get more, right? Minority leader. Mm. You get The school district gets one BDR. The whole school district gets one BDR. <laughs> And does that come from the school board? That comes from, we approve it. But again, you have people, right, that work right. in governmental affairs and so on. And we look at what are the greatest needs. Now, that is the one area where it becomes political from a school board standpoint mm-hmm. because you have to think about all the political realities. Who's there? What kind of votes can you get? Mm-hmm. What's dead on arrival because so-and-so and so-and-so has this kind of control over this committee and yada, yada. So you use some political savvy with not us but the governmental affairs folks mm-hmm. there. Because then you work really hard and try to get support for your bills and so on. So that politics comes into play there some. Gotcha. Yeah, and then like like city municipalities and so on, each, they get one or two or whatever it goes. But each school district only gets one. And I think the governor gets like 200. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? <laughs> like basically, the governor gets whatever many he wants, right? right? Just face it. Yeah. And I say he because we've always had he's. Yeah, so like so for my five, I'll tell you what those five are in yeah. the moment. So my five BDRs, what happens is you there's a deadline that we have and that your BDRs, build draft request, your BDRs are due by uh, by mm. whatever the date is. If I got when it was, it was early December. And then there's a group of people whom are just wonderful because we need them so much. LCB, the Legislative Council Bureau. So let's say for an example, one of my BDRs has to do with oh, this is a two of mine are pertaining to education. This one's pertaining to our, our religious absences. There are new tenants policies put in place by the legislature, right? Session or two ago, really establishes what, you know, excused absences and so on. Mm-hmm. So if you have a religious absence, it's Ramadan, right? It's Yom Kippur, anything like that, right? Then it's an excused absence because right. you absolutely, you, you can practice your faith, mm-hmm. right? However, there are some awards and recognitions at the end of the year that only students with perfect attendance mm-hmm. qualify for. Right. And so, therefore, it punishes that kid if this is Yom Kippur and you're celebrating, right, it's Ramadan, whatever. Been an excused absence at work, at school, you make up your word just like any other excused absence, yeah. but it's an excused absence. Got it. Okay. Right. And you shouldn't be a really big part of me is, is I am, I'm very serious about my faith. 
and you shouldn't be penalized for practicing your faith. And these will be recognized religions, not something somebody just made up last week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, <laughs> yeah. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. And there may be out there, and that's wonderful, but the state already has some that are recognized based mm-hmm. upon the religious holidays and whatnot. And so what, what I'm asking for in the BDR is, is to come up with a different category, like a religious absence or something. Mm, okay. Like an art community, for an example, Sandy Raffelli from uh, Bill Pierce, you know, Olds, Honda, BMW, Mini, they have several, right? The end of the year, school year, all the seniors, not just Washoe County School District, right? Could be Manoa, could be a charter school. All the seniors with perfect attendance qualified in a, to be in a raffle mm. for a free car. Oh, okay. So there is a kid with perfect attendance. So that's the best example I yeah. know of how that how someone would be penalized. Right. Right? So because you celebrated Ramadan, you don't get to be in this. Mm-hmm. And then now you don't get to win the car. But there are other recognitions and so on. Gotcha. So when you do your BDR, it's really general. A BDR number, LCB gives it a number. It's regarding provisions pertaining to excused absences. Gotcha. Okay. Very broad. And then you turn all those into LCB and then they do research. What's out there, and then you know, this is this is really what I'm looking for. This, mm-hmm. this, 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 this. But then but it's very general on your topic. So then someone from LCB, they're doing research for you. Do we have anything in state law about that? What are other states doing about mm. those? Any of that stuff. What else has another legislator put forth something that's similar, right? And you try to coordinate going in, you yeah. know, So because then you wasted the BDR, right? If right. we're both in at, at the deadline, we've both done the same thing, you've wasted one. Gotcha. Okay. Right? So you try not to, you try to coordinate as much as you can, mm-hmm. but then LCB comes back and then you work on it, then you hone it and you're, okay, this is, this, this is what I'm learning based upon this and this, and you begin to work on language. They'll do, they do a lot of the work. They do some draft work for you, make some recommendations. Meanwhile, we get these BDR ideas usually from people. Mm, Other right. people, whether it's someone who works in the industry, you know, could be a lobbyist, right? Could be someone who works and hey, this is going on at our school or whatever the case, or I'm a teacher and therefore I, right, I see this needs to change. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you, you bring basically your own kind of experience to the mm-hmm. BDRs that you choose mm-hmm. to bring. Exactly. In conversations you've had with people, because mm-hmm. there are things that when you're on the campaign trail, you learn a lot. One thing I, I will have to say this, you know, is this is very different than running for school board because you aren't dealing with things politically, right? So in the legislative campaign season, what I've recognized is people are really very good about not saying, hey, we're going to put this forth out there. Can we get, can we count on your support and we'll give you someone? They're very good. Do not mix the two. Hmm. People are actually very good about that. I mean, I think I had one time in all the dozens of meetings that I had over the six, eight, ten months when I was on the campaign trail when it's like, ah, nah, that that, that one pretty probably shouldn't have asked me about that one. Mm. But typically people are very good, which really impressed me. Because you start worrying, okay, lobbyists are gonna want to mm. now what it does do is if there's a lobbyist for an example who made a contribution, they gave me two hundred and fifty bucks making this up, let's say right. and then there's a bill that comes up that has to do with their industry, mm-hmm. then, hey, we supported you because we knew you'd at least give us a minute to come talk to you about it. So you pay for access. Mm. It's that, you know what? These people are great. And it does not only because they give you checks. Sometimes it's, hey, I know that person. We went to school. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Get, you tell your, your attache who's your assistant. Mm-hmm. They're attaches. Yeah. Right? You tell your at. Yeah, yeah, you put them. You know, I actually meet. I don't not meet with someone if they didn't get, you make your, they call the office, they want to meet, let's put them down. Mm-hmm. We'll meet with them. But you, there's a little bit more of an expectation. Hey, you can, you guys, you guys squeeze me in. Come on. I helped you get there to hear them, mm-hmm. not to vote for you. 
Right. And then part of that conversation is, is people that you think, hey, you have some of the same philosophies generally overall. Then that's that part. Certainly you have a general idea of how I feel about business or taxes or education or the environment or whatever. Got it. Right. From from there. Hey, you know, what? I think I kind of like that philosophy. Let's support her because I think if we have an issue. We think we can go talk to her about it. Mm-hmm. That's what that piece is for. And so I, that was a pleasant surprise for me. Where are those, where are those lines drawn? Because it's a little different. I don't want to be bought, right? right so yeah. to speak. So it's like buying your time. Gotcha, gotcha. What are the five BDRs? That- well, that was one. Okay, yeah. Religious holidays. Another one has to do with human trafficking. And we have an NRS, a statute, right? There are bills that become laws that are statutes, right? And then there are things that are in the Constitution. These Mostly we do, we're dealing with statutes because constitutional mm-hmm. change takes a couple of votes of the people. And right. Yada, yada. So we're dealing with the statutes, with the laws. There's an existing statute that talks about if you make money, off of the earnings of someone else, you're a pimp, mm. right? It's against the law to make money off of the earnings of someone else. Mm-hmm. That's probably a better way of saying if you're a pimp right. and you're, you know, <laughs> probably don't want to put that. <laughs> yeah, need to, need to define the terms. Yeah, the bill, need, right? ex- exactly. So if you're if you're getting money off of the earnings of someone else, that's, that's against the law, right? Right now, it's really, uh, it's a misdemeanor. And so what I'm asking is Bill Draft request is that when it comes to that other person being a minor, mm. human trafficking, more likely human trafficking, because mm-hmm. the vast majority start as minors. As a minor, then it's a felony. Got it. Because part of it is, is we need to unincentivize mm-hmm. right, those who are doing that because then there is a, there, there's a higher penalty. That's uh, two. Mm-hmm. A third one, you would think, hey, people can get with those. You always think that, right? Yeah. I mean, everyone's, there's going to be debate on every kind of issue. Everything. There are people, there sometimes there are, you know, unintended consequences. I never knew that there's the Nevada Pimp Association. I'm making this up, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, gosh, I really hope I'm making that up. I, I, yeah, I hope not. I hope I am making that up. If and there is, that, they probably don't call themselves that. Yeah, they probably call themselves something else. <laughs> Some entrepreneurial, yeah, uh, yeah anyway. And you don't want there to be unintended consequences. That's why those meetings really are important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I can't just meet with people who supported me. I want to hear the other side. Right. I need to make good decisions, right? So, so those, it seems religious holidays, human trafficking. I mean, that, sh- that should be pretty, but you never know, right? right? I, I, don't, I have zero expectation of that. Right. Yeah. I mean, you'll find out this session, right? I will find out very soon. Let's see which one I want to talk about next. School safety, when that is not pertaining to guns, which is very important, and I think there's someone else who's written something about doing some more in terms of um, gun legislation and safety in schools. The intention of mine is to tighten up and maybe even establish, that's where the research comes in. Uh, it has to do with behavior in schools. You know, We've had situations when yeah. you know, violent behavior you know, towards teachers, other mm-hmm. educators, even sometimes with other students, and you know, what, what do we have around for some protections? Right. And I, th- I think it's important. And I said this even during COVID. One thing to be safe is something else to feel safe. Mm. And we want our educators to feel safe. We want our students to feel safe. Right. But you balance that part of it. Again, as you put stuff out, you start thinking, what's the other side of this? Because there's always another side. Yeah. You balance that with legislation that was passed last session uh, regarding uh, restorative practices, which means if there is um, a disciplinary issue in school. Back 100 years ago, when I was in K-12, <laughs> right? You know, then someone got suspended. Mm-hmm. Right? So now you're home for three days. Yeah. Okay. So now you get to go home and play video games for three days. And now you're out of school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That isn't helping you academically. So if there is a way to do better, to hold you accountable, 
right? And talk about, you know, restorative practices and, under, you know, understanding, having a greater understanding for taking responsibility for your actions. Maybe you need some counseling. It's, it's a whole gamut of approach. That might be your better way mm-hmm. to, again, to resolve the issue. Yeah. Okay. Keep the environment, the culture, keep the building safe. Right, but not have that school, that kid. That kid just got a three day vacation. Mm-hmm. And I think so. I have some family and friends who work in education too. And mm-hmm. I think one of the concerns too is if there's a kid who gets in fights, who is a like aggressive and violent, that you can't as easily remove them from the classroom. See, and that's the balance. Yeah. And that's got to be the balance because if, especially if you have someone who's habitual, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and clearly there are behaviors and actions that absolutely mandate some immediate removal, and maybe for longer periods of time. Right, depending upon the infraction. And so that's that's the balance in there. Where do you find it? Clearly we need to create an atmosphere that's safer. Yeah. Right? Because we're seeing some of the behavior. And it isn't just here, by the way, it's a national trend, believe mm. it or not. So how do we do what do we do to make it safer? But at the same time, that kid needs to be in school more than anybody else. Mm. Gosh, we need this kid to finish school and have some options for their life and not be in that that school to prison pipeline and right. I mean that that's real. Mm-hmm. Right, that that that's real, and in, in in particular, remember I said earlier, part of my task is the least, the last, and lost. It's the most vulnerable kids that get caught up in that, mm-hmm. and then they don't have a chance. Yeah, and I mean, there's also a lot of racial dynamics there too. Where Absolutely, I think, like, black and brown kids are over policed Absol- and much more likely to be uh, black, brown, and poor kids. Yeah, black, brown, and poor kids. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So that's to me, that's going to be. I anticipate. Right. Watch it be something like the it's going to be like the religious absence bill, something that's right. I anticipate that being the one that I need to work the hardest on. Mm. Um, and I'll get back to what that means in just a moment. This one should be nondescript, but who knows? There is a prescription reimbursement. There was something something that was changed in, in statute, I think, last session. Mm. And this is targeting those in particular. They're typically nonprofit organizations like like Northern Nevada Hopes, Community Health Alliance that serve HIV patients. Mm. And they were getting a reimbursement for medications. And there was something done, and one of the unintended consequences was they the re- reimbursement didn't go to them. It doesn't go to them anymore. It goes to the state. Mm. And the state agency has been really good about, hey, we're just going to redirect it because that's, that's been that way in practice. This is my understanding as I've gathered the facts before I made this my BDR. Yeah. My understanding is the, the state agency has has redirected the funds because that's really the intention is we want to reimburse these, these agencies that help this vulnerable population, right? Many of which don't have any kind of health care, mm. right? But it needs to be um, needs to be codified. Gotcha. Okay. Right. Ne- needs to be in statutes. You know, get a new director. It falls through the crack. And they say, you know, now hopes isn't getting their, their money. And so then what mm. happens to these patients that really need this medication? Gotcha. Right. Again, could be, should be not, but who knows? Right. Right. And then the final one is uh, dispensing opticians. What this is about is um, we have laws here that when you, you make glasses, you sell them, you pay a tax. Mm. I'm going to completely over oversimplify this. A couple of uh, organizations here in our state, in the South, as this one turns out, that, that sells um, a lot of glasses all over the globe. So they're, they're paying taxes twice mm. here, even though they aren't being sold here. Oh, okay. And then when they get... And this is really kind of a cleanup bill. Some work was being done on it was being done on it last session and just ran out of time. Because mm-hmm. you start getting down to the end and it's like it's you know, you because we only have hundred and twenty days. Another thing about the session. Yeah, I want to ask you about that. <laughs> Another thing about the session. Back in the day, you know, they would start sometimes right after Martin Luther King Day, mm-hmm. you know, and and you hope they get out by July one because that's the new fiscal year. Mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly what year it was when the uh, hundred and twenty days period. Mm-hmm. 
120 days, that's what you get. Interestingly enough, back to pay is you get you get a per diem for your expenses because you for us we're driving back and forth. Mm-hmm. If you're anything outside of 50 miles from from Carson City, then you have a, a fund. I think it's like ten thousand dollars where you can you can fly back and forth for travel, oh, okay. or you can pay rent. Mm. That kind of thing. So they think about if you're coming from Tonopah, you're coming from uh, Esmeralda, mm-hmm. or you know, all of which have representatives, right? Yeah. You have to leave your house, come here and move to Carson five days a week. And most go home on the weekends, mm-hmm. at least until we get really busy towards the end. Yeah. Right? Most go home on the weekends. So you get some get $10,000 to make all that happen, whether mm-hmm. you're flying or renting a car or whatever the case may be. And then our actual pay is um, $160 a day. Mm-hmm. For 60 days. Oh, only for 60 days? For 60 days. Okay. Right. And and I it was after I won when I found that out. I was, <laughs> I was speaking with the chief clerk, you know, all about business. Susan, she's, she's amazing. She came to my house, big old thick binder, all going over everything and so on. And so she said, so you get $160, $160 a day for the first 60 days. And I said, oh, okay. So – because after that, it gets really, you know, yeah, things start about, getting really busy. Yeah, about, I mean, yeah. you're working, you're doing late nights and week. I'm, so I'm thinking, what, 175? Mm-hmm. Right? So when do we get the next 60 days? Oh, you don't get anything. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? 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 That's wild. Why is that? I don't know. Uh-huh. It, it's, it's probably either statutory. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if it's in the Constitution, but it probably came about when the 120 days came about. Mm-hmm. You get 120 days. I have no idea. Yeah. How do you feel about the 120 day every other year legislative session that you have this kind of rush mode every other year where you have to do everything all at once? Do you think that is a good way of running a state government? Is that something that you think works for Nevada? It's relatively rare. Most states have like a normal legislature that meets much more often mm-hmm. and every year. Well, you know, you can ask me that. I'll have a better answer to that, much better say that after I do it for a year. Yeah. Right. To see what it's like. It's like, are we just, you know, are we dinking around the first 60 days mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it gets serious? Or is it like, hey, we have to get to work and we're working, busting our tails the whole time and can barely get it done for the citizens of Nevada. Mm-hmm. So I reserve that. It seems weird. It seems like whenever the every the bite is talk about the biennial part of it, mm-hmm. that was probably a really good idea when we, you know, had like 250,000 people that lived right. in the state. Yeah, we're we're a big issue. You know, now. we're 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 about three and a half million. Mm-hmm. So it's a little bit harder than when the budget was a lot smaller mm-hmm. than it is now. Um, a lot of the work from when it falls in those interim committees, you know, interim finance, interim education, they do a lot of the work in the interim. Mm, okay. The, the challenge with the interim law, let's say interim education, for an example, something really dire. I don't think that they can actually make a law. Gotcha. Okay. You so, know, so they can't actually do it. They can be there to get things lined up for the next session, but sometimes mm-hmm. that might be a year and a half away, right? Yeah, if they start right away, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, it seems like it's not the best way to do it mm-hmm. sitting here, but I, I need to, out of fairness, mm-hmm. let me live through it first. Yes, I'll be curious to hear uh, your reaction after the Yes. Next. So we're recording this just a couple days after Joe Lombardo's State of the State address. We mm-hmm. have a new governor in the state of Nevada. Mm-hmm. Our legislature, both chambers are – Majority Democrats. Mm-hmm. So we have kind of divided government now. 
And I'm curious wh- how that's going to affect what kind of goes through and what how the negotiations work and what the priorities are going to be. So I read the State of the State Address. I didn't watch it, but I read through it. And I know a lot of the things that are focuses are education related. Mm-hmm. So can you just tell me a little bit about some of the education proposals that have come from the governor and the things that you like and don't like? I know there's increase in per pupil spending, I think. So mm-hmm. increases in the budget. I think Nevada basically has a lot of money right now from- We have a surplus. You know, yeah, we have a surplus, which mm-hmm. doesn't always happen. No. And I know that a big focus for the new governor is putting more money into the rainy day fund, maybe not spending the money right now, even though there are some things we need it for. But there is a lot of focus on education and some money is coming into education. So you heard the address and you know kind of what the priorities are. Can you just talk a little bit about what you think of the governor's education priorities from his speech and in uh, the upcoming session? I will say this. There are I, I heard what you heard. I haven't read anything more. The budget just got delivered to my office. <laughs> right, yeah, three three huge binders. Yeah, um, and I'm I'm still setting up my office, so I, I haven't even had a chance to get to work there yet because mm-hmm. we technically don't yet anyway. Right. And you and and the governor doesn't make the budget, right? You make the budget. He gives he, 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 he suggests. Yes, he yeah. gives us proposals. Someone called me. Hey, someone. I said, None of that happens. <laughs> right. Until the legislature meets and 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 so on, it, as they say, and, and I don't even like this phrase, so I need to come up with a better one for it. But I'll say the devil's in the details. Mm-hmm. Again, like I, I don't even like that phrase. Right. As a person of faith, I don't like that <laughs> phrase. But I think that's really what it comes down to. I mean, unprecedented increases in in education. There's that part of me that's like, whoo hoo. Then there's the other part of me that's like, but does that mean we're using public dollars? For private education. Mm, right. Because that's a big focus too is he's talking it's, about a lot more money, but he's also talking about where that money is going. Right. And, and so that's yeah. the detail. And so it's just because I know that's wonderful until you get down and start peeling back some layers. I can't be woo and I can't mm-hmm. be oh, because there's just, there's just more to it. I think as a whole, absolutely. I love $2,000 more per student. Absolutely. I am for increasing the, our workers. To pay for our workers. I wish there was something that was specific to increasing teacher pay. Mm-hmm. There was not. I yeah. wish that that were because I, I think that's absolutely necessary. Yeah, and my understanding is that is more decided at like the local and county levels, right? Like, is there a function for the state budget to have that influence on teacher pay? That it can, because I will say now it, it has to be negotiated. Mm-hmm. But I will say uh, it has been done. I'll, I'll just I'll just put it real straight. When Governor Sislak came in he, on his campaign trail, he said three percent increase for all educators. Mm. He put that in the budget, and then he made sure each school district did it, mm. as only a governor can. Got it. <laughs> you, you follow me? Yeah, you got a little p- power to flex. Yeah, right? as a, yeah, you got the, as only a governor can. Let me just say, I was in the meeting, <laughs> <laughs> as only a governor can. So there's some of that. Yes, that's kind of you starting a little bit of an overreach, dig down to some of the detail, mm. but you also you get to influence some. It's like I've seen an increase in. Um, like the state workers, I mean, there there's some agency influences in that too. But you put, I'm going to put the money in the budget mm. as long as it passes the legislature. And right, hey, 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 there's a way to do that. So I wish that had been specific. Gotcha. Because as, now, yes, it can come from t- the two thousand dollars more per student because students don't get the money; it right. goes to the classroom. I would love to have, have heard, you know, about that. It's difficult for me from an education standpoint to think about as lacking as we are in funding for education. Mm-hmm. And taking some of the funding that we do have, and even if the $2,000 per student increase goes through, I don't know where that would make us land. But I know that we were quite a bit short on average 
So it makes up some room, don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's still hard for me to think. Until we reach the national average, Mm -hmm. which you can't even really celebrate, we're average, (laughs) right? right? But until we reach the national average from a funding standpoint, Mm -hmm. it's difficult for me to hear a conversation around, and let's take some of these public dollars and take them over there, because how does that make our public schools Mm -hmm. better? Can you explain a little bit about the how that works? You know, uh, I don't have any kids in school. I don't have a personal interest in the school choice argument. And I know that even school choice is kind of a, a euphemism, a buzzword for maybe a different it's ideas. partisan. It's partisan. Yeah. And it shouldn't be. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about what that means? Like what is the the goal of Governor Lombardo as far as the school choice argument and moving money outside of maybe the public school system? How does that work and kind of what are your thoughts on where that money should go and how we should restrict or how we should control where the money for our education goes. Well, you know, I can't tell you what his, what his goal on that is quite yet because I just got the overall mm-hmm. idea behind it. I, I am not anti-school choice by any means. So I want to make that very clear. The, the term school choice has gotten partisan. The term school choice has meant vouchers, basically public money in the private schools. Mm. That's what it has kind of evolved into. And that's not the I, to me, school choices as a family, as a parent, you are choosing a different educational structure or system for your child, right? It may be online. It could be uh, public. We have public charter schools, mm-hmm. right? Could be charter schools. Could be signature. We have amazing signature programs in the Washoe County School District. So if there is a child that is interested in fine arts or medicine or graphic arts, you can go to a high school and get all your basics done, but in that vein and learn about mm-hmm. those things. There's school choice that's already built into some public schools. Gotcha. All of the high schools here, I'm sure they have they have a different model in Vegas. We have a couple of CTE schools, career and technical education, where mm-hmm. the whole school is at. Gotcha. Right? They have several of those in Las Vegas as well. So school choice to me means something a little bit different. It doesn't mean because mm-hmm. what th- this is back to this. I get concerned about okay, so if we give this, so then uh, then these kids they can take up their money, but what about the families that can't send their kid to the school across town because mm-hmm. they don't drive or because they work or because you know they don't have transportation? What about the special ed kid that really needs a special program? What the, see to me, I think about I think about equity, right? Not just from a ratio, but this. What, what about poor kids? What about kids that are disabled? What about how do they get that? If it costs fifteen thousand dollars to go to a private school, and okay, you know what? Now you can take your nine thousand dollars that we spend state dollars. And we, great, who's making those six thousand dollars for those mm. poor families? They don't get to go. Right. And then once you get there, who's buying their uniforms and their books? And they don't get to go. Mm. So I so I get yeah. concerned about that. The idea is that oh, anyone can choose to go to one of these schools, but the reality is that it is not actually accessible for everybody. No, it absolutely is not. There's no transportation. Mm. I mean, oh right, yeah, no, no public school bus for the private schools, right? No, I. What if I'm a kid? I live instead. Mm. I want my kid to go to Galena. Let's say for an example, because I went to Galena, and we think it's whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. I like the coach, or I like that program. Even right now with the signature program, mm-hmm. they have a great international program for signature program at Galena. If you're a kid at Stead, we have a situation where you can take this bus and go here and get off this bus. So you can try to get mm-hmm. – that's not even a great system. Right. They still don't really have full accessibility to our signature programs. And so for those kids that are not, you're just choosing to go out there. Mm-hmm. That kid can't get there. There's some inherent challenges in that for me. So then what you end up happening is who's left at their zone school? Mm-hmm. The poor kids. The disabled kids, right? The special needs kids. Who's left for those who can't have, Mm -hmm. right? That doesn't help public education. 
Yeah, that makes sense. What do you expect to happen? Because again, it's a divided government right now. I don't imagine that a Democratic majority legislature is going to necessarily do all of the things that our governor wants as far as these things. So do you have expectations about what might happen with some of these proposals? Mm, I don't have expectations around it because I'm there for the first time. Right. But I do know that there, I think there are some things that I would certainly want to commend the governor on because I think there are some things that I like mm-hmm. about it. There's there are some things that were lacking. And I mentioned just a few of them in terms of education. So that's when you go down and you negotiate. There's some give and take and, mm-hmm. and all of that because at the end of the day, whatever passes through the legislature has to go through the governor. The governor can't get his things passed. Right. So there has to be some working together. So I can't be an advocate of diversity if you don't say, hey, let me hear all the voices. Mm-hmm. As the governor said, people were sent to Carson City with different views and different philosophies and just say particular around education. Mm-hmm. And I think people's constituencies are going to have an expectation that you stay true to those. And there's some working together that happens in it. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing per se. But yeah, I can't, I don't have an overly emotional reaction one way or the other because it's, you got to pull the layers back and see the details. And that's great. Is it really that much money? Mm -hmm. You know, that's just a lot to that. I'm learning that. It's like, there's there's always more to it. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate that because I am a person who tries to see the nuance in all of these different arguments. I have my own political views and Mm -hmm. all that. But generally, I try to recognize that almost any black and white political issue or policy issue that we're talking about has much more gray area than a lot of people are willing to recognize or talk about. And uh, so I appreciate that you have that kind of um, bipartisan way of thinking of hearing all the different voices and, uh, you know, finding the places where we agree, I think is, is very I think important. that's a great place to start. I think there was certainly there were some of those things. Mm-hmm. Like I mentioned some of the things that, man, I wish they were a part of it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we're not doesn't mean it can't be might still come up because there's still over, last count, over 800 BDRs mm. that haven't even been considered oh, and been gosh. a part of, that's the la- that was the last time I looked. Oh, okay. 800 and, oh. Number 800 and something is mine. Oh, it's okay. one of mine. <laughs> there could be, there were like 1,300 bills last session mm. came through. So that's going to, I'm sh- certainly some of those will have an impact on some of the things that the governor said. Mm-hmm. I would imagine it's just so early. But yeah. I, I think that you let's start where there's common ground. I think that's a great place to start. Mm-hmm. And then you look at here's some things that are that are really important. We didn't talk much about the governor didn't mention much, if anything at all, about like affordable housing. Mm-hmm. That's a big issue. Yeah. I expect that to be a part of a conversation somewhere, yeah. you know, in this about um health care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a couple other issues you that know? I did want to talk to you about for the session. I know that there was talk about election security stuff. And I know that there's concern about the mail-in voting. I love the mail-in voting. I used to live in Portland and they had statewide mail voting before we did here in Nevada. And I know it was a, COVID was the thing that started this mail-in voting, but I love it. And I think it is a better way to do elections. And I know one of the things that the governor talked about is changing some of the election things. And do you expect that to be some of the issues that are talked about? I know that our new secretary of state, Cisco Aguilar, is probably not interested in rolling back any of these voter access things that we've created in the last few years. What do you think that's going to look like as far as election reform stuff? Do you think it's going to be um, on the agenda? Well, I think it will be on the agenda because the governor is going to have a BDR on it. Mm, gotcha. <laughs> right, so that's going, to, that's going to come up. I will say this. I think that universal mail-in voting has increased our voter participation yeah, th- that's the biggest thing for just, me is I want people to vote. Crazy, yes. So the easier you make it, the better. Right, right. and th- and so this is what I what I've said is that I don't want anybody to vote that shouldn't. Mm-hmm. I get it. I don't want anybody to vote that shouldn't. But everybody who can, let's make it easy for them. Mm. So my understanding is over half the people in our state voted by mail last time. Mm. 
over half the people in our state vote. You cannot say that that has not increased access. Mm-hmm. And it needs to be legal access. I get that, right? You can't say it has not increased access. It has. To me, it's a solution looking for a problem mm. because there's been no yeah, no substantial uh, voter fraud in the country, but let alone, let's take in our state. I know mm-hmm. there have been some accusations, but they've all been unfounded. Right. They've all been um, and, and not courts were, or well, these are judges that, these are some of them were, were actually appointed, you know, by the former president mm-hmm. who's really been an advocate and pushed that thing, mm-hmm. right? And it just hasn't been founded. There's not a problem. Let's make sure it's legal. Yep, mm-hmm. yep, got it, got it, got it, good. But let's make it easy for people, not hard. Yeah. All for that. Absolutely. You mentioned healthcare, I think, a little bit maybe. And there's a a public health option that I think was passed in the last session. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that the governor was critical of. I think it doesn't take effect for a number of years. Yeah, like 25, um, something So that, like that. that was his criticism was that it was um, symbolic, that it's not actually doing anything for mm-hmm. a while. So, And I don't know the details of it. It's something about a, a public option or more access to healthcare for people who are uninsured. Can you just talk a little bit about what that – policy was and what you expect to happen with it in the upcoming session? Well, I don't know what the policy was because, again, it's it's before me, but I Mm. am on health and human services. Okay. And so I do expect some conversation around it because there's going to be a BDR from the governor. Bring that forward. I'm interested in taking a look at it. Mm. I'd like to learn more about why the delay. If there's a delay, there's because there's a reason for a delay. Mm. And sometimes the reason may need to be you give people a chance to get themselves lined up, get systems ready and so that you don't introduce something and then you have, you know, mm-hmm. you know, Taylor Swift concert tickets, you know, you know I mean? right? that nobody can get, right? Because yeah. the system fails. And so, right. so that, that may be, I, I, don't, I really don't know that may be the reason. So I, well, I want to find out when the delay, mm-hmm. why, why the delay, right? And then what's the intention of the, of the legislation and does it do what it should do? What did we miss? Is there anything else in the upcoming legislative session that you think is important that people should be paying attention to? Do you have other priorities that you want people to be aware of? Well, one thing I would absolutely be remiss if I didn't say this, get in, get involved, come down, testify. There's a, there's a really easy bill tracking system, emails that you would get updates on what's happening with. Sometimes it's hard to keep up with. Now, you know, if you have 700 bills you're tracking, you can't follow all 700. You're going to miss some things. You're going to miss some stuff. You're going to miss some stuff. But if there's some things that are really important topically or whatever, pay attention, watch it. You know, it's live online, mm-hmm. right? Come down, testify, and you can call in even which is kind of a carry over from COVID. Mm. It matters. Uh, the people that testify, and that's one of the things that for each of us that have bills or BDRs is you you want to gather support. You want people to come testify and, and share their views. And even if they're against, I need to hear that too. Right. Because maybe I'm completely missing something, mm. you know, which certainly can happen. And so I, I just want to encourage people to get involved in the process. Get involved in it. This is your chance to have a voice. Mm-hmm. People have already been emailing. Um, we get way more emails than I got on the school board. So you don't always get an answer. It's like you get, I just can't do that <laughs> and read my bills. And ca- yeah. I'm vice chair of education, so do that role. I mean, you can't, if you don't get a, hey, thank you for your email, because I hate to do that. That's so generic. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your email. Right. That's, that's so generic. But just know we get them, we read them. Mm-hmm. I can certainly tell you that. We get them, we read them, and it does make a difference. So get involved in it. Excellent. Uh, Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was great to have you, especially because I haven't done that much about politics and the state legislature because I started this podcast two years ago in the uh, in the off season. And so I haven't had a chance to really learn a lot about how the legislature works. And one of my goals for this show is keeping in mind that a lot of listeners 
don't know how everything works mm-hmm. and getting a little bit of background about kind of the structure of how the BDRs work and what the priorities are I was very enlightening to me and I'm hoping for listeners it also kind of shines a light on how things work in Carson City because I think it can be a little confusing and intimidating mm-hmm. for normal folks who are not heavily involved in politics so I appreciate you taking the time and uh, and making it all easy to understand that is of very high value which I'm sure coming from so. a background in education you know how to explain things so that people will learn that seems like a a good fit as far as uh, explaining how our government works yeah, you want coming people from an education it. background. You want people to get it. And by the way, when the BDR goes through, if it passes, it goes through committee first, then it goes to that House Assembly or the Senate. Mm. And let's say this, it may be amended, right? People come up with different, oh, shoot, this change that. Then it goes to the other House. Mm-hmm, right. And it may be amended. And so, yeah. But hopefully once the, the same version is passed by both houses, that's when it becomes law. Gotcha. After it's signed by the governor. Mm. Oh, that's when it goes to the yeah, governor. Right. right. Assuming assuming it doesn't get vetoed. Because there's also the veto stuff, which is yep. another thing that can create a challenge. I know in the last session there were a couple of things that passed that were vetoed yep. that I was kind of disappointed in. So And sometimes also, surprised, right? Because yeah. it wasn't it was not a divided government. But mm-hmm. then then the governor can also not pass a bill. He doesn't have to veto it. Mm. He can also just not sign it. Yeah, like a not po- pass po- pocket veto. Is yeah, that uh, no, oh, just that's a different j- just just not sign it. Mm. It still becomes law, but he hasn't signed it. Oh, okay, okay. So if it, the governor doesn't sign it, it becomes law mm-hmm. anyways. If he doesn't actively veto it. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. See, learning new things. I just learned about that too. <laughs> right now, I hope I got that right. I think I did. I just learned about that. <laughs> um, I hope so. If that is wrong, someone uh, send me an email and we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll do a fact check. Yes, Doctor Taylor. Uh, Dr. Assemblywoman Angie Taylor. Oh, geez. <laughs> or Angie. <laughs> Angie, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really do appreciate you taking the time and, and good luck in the upcoming session. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm very, very excited. Looking forward to being there. I'm honored to be there. So looking forward to it. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Renoites. And special thanks to my guest, Angie Taylor, for coming on the show to talk about her experience on the school board and what she's looking forward to in the upcoming legislative session. It was really great to have her on the show, especially for such a timely episode with what's going on with our legislature right now. Thanks again to Angie, and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or any other, please, again, tell your friends, tell your family, spread the word. It really does help the show to find more people who can find value in what we're doing here. This episode was produced by myself, Lynn Lazaro, and Amber Braun. And that's all I've got for you this week. See you next time. (laughs) 